all my dear listeners, and welcome to Season 2 of Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach, and once again I'm eager to delve into the world of song with you. I'm devoted to bringing you the voices of beloved artists, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. In addition, I look forward to presenting less celebrated but equally treasurable singers who also deserve our attention and respect. Since I started this podcast, I've learned even more about the topic to which I have devoted my life, and I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. Let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Hello to all of you, my dear friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Counter Melody. I must confess that I'm treading into waters with which I am not so familiar. That is the music of Richard Wagner. I've never been a big Wagnerite. I don't dislike his music. I remember when I was a kid, I went through the entire ring cycle, listening for all the leitmotiven which I had marked in my vocal score. But there was something about Wagner that always, let's say, put me off a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what that was, although one wouldn't have to look very far. His misogyny, his questionable racial politics, his rhetorical tendency to overstate and restate seemingly endlessly. Wagner just never grabbed me. But I am making it my challenge to find new ways of listening to and appreciating Wagner. So that's what this episode is about. And I'm going to bring you performances of Wagner in four languages other than German. So let's start with one of the great Wagnerians of the 20th century, the French soprano Germaine Lubin. Here she is singing Dich teure Halle from Tannhäuser, or, more accurately, Salut à toi, noble demeure. If you know the aria well, you'll note that certain adjustments were made to the vocal line. But yet, the piece really seems to sing very well. It doesn't hurt that Lubin had one of the most extraordinary instruments and that she just sails up to the high B. But that's almost icing on the cake, shall we say. Oh! <laughs> 
recordings from 1929. Now, since we're with Tannhäuser, one of Wagner's early works, let's listen to the Swedish bass baritone Bernhard Sönerstedt singing the Abendstern from Tannhäuser, Wolfram's invocation of the evening star.
now we're going to experience something altogether different, this recording from 1903 by the Russian tenor Ivan Yershov. Ivan Yershov lived from 1867 to 1943. This recording, as I said, is from 1903, and it's of the forging song from Siegfried. Yershov trained in both Russia and in Italy, and one can hear the bel canto aspects of his technique. He tosses off this forging song with an ease that I would say is almost unheard of in this day and age. He sang much of the heaviest dramatic tenor repertoire. But he also sang things like Arturo in Puritani, so clearly he had a wide range. One of his late career appearances was in the Russian premiere of Prokofiev's The Love for Three Oranges. During the war, he was evacuated to Tashkent, and he died in 1943 during the evacuation. He was also a dedicated teacher, and it's interesting to note that he refused an invitation in 1901 to go to Bayreuth Two reasons. He didn't want to relearn all of his roles in German, and he did not care for the prevailing vocal method espoused and in prominence at Bayreuth at that time. It's something that we now in our day and age have come to refer to as the Bayreuth bark, where there's more Sprech than Stimme, less singing and much more speaking, and you end up with kind of a hurled technique. That's not always pleasant to listen to. I don't think we're really going to hear any of that today. But let's take in Ivan Yershov. Ha ha ha! 
The next singer that we're going to hear, also singing Siegfried, but this time in French, is the Heldentenner Paul Franz. He was born in France as François Gautier and changed his name and began his vocal study much later than is normally the case. He was nearly 30 years old. He lived from 1876 to 1950 and participated in some very important operatic premieres, including the first staged premiere of the complete Les Troyens by Berlioz in 1921, the French premiere of Parsifal in 1914, and the premiere of Albert Roussel's Padmavati in 1923. He made a specialty of the Wagner roles, and as you hear, he is also an extraordinary interpreter of the role of Siegfried. After his retirement, he also became well-known as a teacher. Some people feel that he is one of the supreme Helden tenors of all time, one who can sit very comfortably alongside, say, Lord's Melchior. I think he's extraordinary, and it's really been fun to listen to more of his singing. Now 
I'm going to take you on a little trip to Lohengrin land. First, I'm going to offer the not really aria called Elsa's Traum or Einsam im trüben Tagen. Do you guys remember from the Rosanna Carteri episode that I told you that she made her debut at the age of 19 in the role of Elsa, singing, of course, in Italian? I have another favorite soprano for you here that is Mafalda Favero in this 1928 recording of Elsa's Dream, here called Sola da miei primanni. In the middle of the aria, I'm going to cut to Ninon Valin's recording in French. For those of you who don't know Ninon Valin, she was an extraordinary French singer who could do almost everything from Louise to Carmen to Charlotte. I know there are some people that don't really care for her, and I haven't quite figured out why, because she also had an extraordinarily broad song repertoire, and she was always looking into interesting corners of the repertoire. So she's really one of my favorite singers, and I'm happy to offer to you the second half of her Seul dans ma misère, aka Le Rêve d'Elsa. What I want you to listen for is how they both sing quite lyrically with a great deal of attention to the language, and my contention is that it's the color of the language that transmogrifies the music into sounding either Italian or French. It gives an interesting new tint to the way that one hears this. So see if you agree with me. Here's Favaro first and then Valan. Oh, 
going to hear an extended excerpt from a 1933 recording by Martial Singer and Marjorie Lawrence. This is the dialogue between the two, well, they're presented in the opera as evil forces, Telramunt and his wife Ortrud, who are seeking the destruction of Elsa. So Singer was a very important French baritone who sang everything from Don Giovanni to the four nemeses in Tales of Hoffmann to Peleas to, as we hear here, Wagner. He sang into old age, and he also was celebrated as a teacher, in fact, and he made some late career recordings that reveal a voice that is much diminished, but still deeply capable of expression. Here we hear him in much more of his prime, and he is joined here by the Australian soprano Marjorie Lawrence, who was really one of the great dramatic sopranos. She exhibited enormous, enormous promise, and then was struck down before she even reached her prime by polio. Of course, some of you have seen the film Interrupted Melody, starring Eleanor Powell in the role of Marjorie Lawrence. Her voice there is provided by none other than Eileen Farrell. I just want you to hear the crackling tension in this fabulous duet, which in German is called Erhebe dich genossen meiner Schmach, and in French it's called Allons debout, compagne de ma honte. I think it's really terrific. I hope you enjoy it too. Oh! 
Now here's a singer that I'm adding in at the last minute for you because I liked her version of Elsa's second act aria so much. This is the Italian Marcella Pobbe. She's known for having appeared as an old lady in some of those documentaries, and she was highly opinionated and often had not very nice things to say about a lot of people, including one Swedish tenor with whom she had a long-standing illicit alliance. Enough said about that. But I think she's worth remembering for more than just that. She sings this as if it were, say, Anoncredé. It has such a beautiful bel canto feel to it, and I, for one, am all in for Marcella Pobbe in this 1957 recording. Thank you. 
Now we're going to have a little Russian bel canto featuring two of the greatest Russian singers from the early years of the 20th century. That is Leonid Sobinov as Lohengrin and Antonina Nezhdanova as Elsa. Interestingly, Nezhdanova was very much a coloratura soprano, and yet you hear how much body there is in her sound. I have not been able to ascertain if she actually sang Elsa in the theater on stage, but she certainly sounds at home in this beautiful and severely truncated version of the opening minutes of the bridal chamber scene. Thankfully, you don't have to listen to the wedding march. You're welcome.
couple more Lohengrin excerpts for you. This is the idiosyncratic and quite marvelous Spanish tenor Miguel Fleta. Again, a singer I think of as more of a bel canto artist. He had a bag of tricks that he would use, often quite effectively. Sometimes he would overmilk things. But I remain an enormous fan, for instance, of his recording of Atiocara from Ipuritani. But here we have him lending his dulcet tones to the aria Mein Lieber Schwan, My Dear Swan, or, as it's known here, Cigno Fedel. This is Lohengrin preparing to take his farewell from Elsa, and again, it's just a bel canto festival. Oh 
It's not surprising that Lohengrin should be such a popular opera amongst the Italians. There's a recording that's wonderful but with quite poor sound, featuring Giacinto Prandelli and Renata Tebaldi. But instead of that, I'm going to offer you another idiosyncratic but really amazing tenor, Aureliano Pertile. This is the first part of the Infernem Land narrative in which Lohengrin reveals his true name. In Italian, it's called Da Voi Lontan. You'll hear that Pertile has a much more explosive way with the language, but it's so deeply compelling, and I think he's magnificent.
I do also want you to hear the Russian tenor Sergei Lemeshev in his Lohengrin. This recording, as far as I can determine, is from the late 1940s. Fletas is from 1926, Pertiles 1932, and this one from probably about 15 years later. Lemeshev has one of the most gorgeous voices that I've ever heard. He brings such sweetness to the part, but he also has power to spare. I would say he's one of the most unique Lohengrins that I I've heard. There are a lot of beautiful voiced jugendlich dramatisch tenors that take on the part of Lohengrin. Most recently we've heard Piotr Piechawa do it. I, well, I haven't heard him do it, but I know that he has sung it and I'm kind of a fan. I've heard him sing some wonderful performances, so I'm willing to listen to him singing it. There are some other present day tenors that I'm less likely to turn to. But anyway, here's Yemeshev. You'll notice that I'm, I took the last minute and a half of the portion that Pertile sang so that you can make a direct A-B comparison between the way that these two people approach their roles. Language certainly does play a part in forming their interpretation. <laughs> Что верить должен смертный человек Но если в ком сомнения зародились Небес посол Тотчас Пришел отец мой Парсифаль, богом венчанный, я Лоенгрин, святый не той посол. Time for just a tiny little break. I'm going to beg you, beg you, beg you. Please, please support my podcast. Please pass on the word. Please encourage people to support the podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash countermelody. Or if you're not already a Patreon supporter, and there are many of you that listen that aren't, may I please invite you to consider the possibility of supporting me with as little as $2 a month. That support will enable me to carry on the podcast. These are tough times for everybody, I know, and I don't even feel good about asking for it. Just know that any amount of help that you can provide is appreciated, and you can also please follow me on social media, check out the show notes page at countermelodypodcast.com, which always features set lists and photographs of the artists represented. Now let's resume the program. 
Corsica has produced a large number of great tenors, and one of the primary ones is Cesar Vezzani. He also had a very wide repertoire, and I want you to listen to this wonderful performance of the Chant du Printemps, or Winterstürme, from Die Walküre in this 1931 recording. <speaking in Spanish> Sweden for just a moment because I want you to hear this extraordinary voice, this Swedish mezzo-soprano Karin Brunzel. She primarily sang the Zwischenfach parts in the Wagner operas, but she also took on some of the lower parts as well as essaying Brynhilde, which she sang at the Met and in other venues. Here she is singing War es so schmählich from Die Walküre in the confrontation scene with Wotan. And I just want you to hear what a gorgeous mezzo-soprano voice this is. It has all the plushness that one longs for in such a voice.
We're going to go back to Italy now, and we're going to turn to a radio performance of Parsifal from November 1950. Some of you may have your ears perk up at hearing that, because this was the performance in which Maria Callas sang Kundry. But I'm going to save Callas for the very end of the episode. Instead, I'm going to play two excerpts by two of the lower-voiced males in the cast. First is an excerpt from Amfortas' monologue towards the end of the first act. This is the late, great Rolando Panerai. He died last year in his late 90s. He was a great singer. He had a very distinctive voice. And man, can he generate some heat here. I think it's just a fantastic performance. Oh, dear, 
dalla fonte dei santi scorta, se mai penitenza salerà. Now I'm going to play you from the same performance, a little bit earlier in the act, the Bulgarian basso Boris Christoph singing in Italian Titurel il più campion, Titurel der fromme Held, is what it's originally called. I love Boris Christoph. I hope that you guys do too, whether French or Italian. His languages are always so heavily accented, and yet he brings a gravitas to all of his singing that I think is extraordinary. I really love him. By the way, the conductor here is Vittorio Gui.
Now I have three excerpts from a live 1962 performance of Die Meistersinger von Nürnberg that took place in Stockholm at the Royal Swedish Opera. First is the extraordinary Heldenbariton Sigurd Bierling. As far as I can tell, he was no relation to UC Bierling, though their paths did cross certain times when, for instance, they both sang in a performance of Romeo et Juliette in Stockholm in 1940. But Sigurd Bierling had a very distinguished career, primarily in Sweden. He didn't enjoy traveling, but for more than 30 years, he was a leading baritone at the Royal Swedish Opera. He also made debuts at Bayreuth, San Francisco, the Met, but his career was primarily focused at home. He's what we would probably refer to now, retrospectively, as a provincial singer. It sounds like we're criticizing, but my god, listen to this voice. I want you to hear the Flieder monolog. I love his conversational way with the language. And as I said earlier, German and Swedish have many more points of commonality than do the other languages we've heard today, French, Russian, Italian. But there is a distinctive vocal color, and also the Swedish language unfolds in a much less percussive way than German does. Oh, 
Now from the same performance, I'm going to offer you that ecstatic moment known in German as Ozachs ein Freund. I don't know what it is in Swedish, sorry. But I can tell you that the singer here is none other than my beloved Elisabeth Söderström. You might not expect her to be as good an Eva as she is, but she's absolutely tops. And from that moment, I'm just making a little cut, and then we're going straight to the quintet Selig wie die Sonne, where Söderström and Björling are joined by Set Svanholm, another very famous Swedish singer, as Walter, Margarete Bergström as Magdalene, and Sven-Erik Wikström as David. This is an extremely satisfying performance. Listening to the entire opera brought me such pleasure this week.
Now, how could we do an episode on Wagner sung by foreign singers in primarily their own language without including one of my very favorite tenors and singers of all time, Georges Thiel? This is the prize song, Lobe Vermeille, it's called here, Morgenlich Leuchtend, in the original German. I cut out the very first part of it because this episode is going on a little bit long, but I just think Thiel is the bee's knees, a cat's meow. Please enjoy. Here's a singer who certainly was the Wagnerian dramatic soprano of her day, Birgit Nielsen. This is from what might have been her first performances of Siegfried, again with the Royal Swedish Opera in 1955. This is a portion of the Ewig war ich scene when Siegfried awakens her from her sleep. Thank you. 
two more selections for you, one in Russian, one in Italian. The first is the bass, Mark Reisen. I don't believe he ever sang Wotan, but that was more a question of it not being in the repertoire in the Russian theaters at that point. He was a fixture at the Bolshoi Opera for many, many, many years, and there are clips of him singing at his 90th birthday gala, almost with the same power that he has in this recording from 1953 of Fulton's Farewell. I'm just playing you the first portion for reasons of time. You can find the complete performance on YouTube or elsewhere. Vasily Nebosin is the conductor of the Bolshoi Theatre Orchestra. Dear friends, I can't tell you how pleased I am that you joined me today. 
to end off today's episode. It's Maria. I made reference to her once before. Maria Callas, in her first studio recording, recorded in 1949, singing The Liebes from Tristan und Isolde. Here it's called Dolce Calmo Sorridendo. Arturo Basile is conducting the Rai Orchestra of Torino. This is Wagner sung as bel canto. I adore this recording so much. It's uncharacteristic for Callas in the repertoire, but as far as the scrupulous musicianship, the dedication to a legato line, there are very few recordings that I think can match this of any repertoire.
my dear friends, though it's becoming so much of a challenge, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach. See you next time.